Oh, you got to be kidding me. Okay, I'm going to tell you what happened in Bethlehem. We're standing in line, a huge line, to get in to see this so-called nativity scene. I can't believe that's where he was really born, right? So we're this huge line. So Pat comes and gets me, and he says, I know the back door. I know where the back door is. So we, I said, okay. So we go around, and we get right into this thing. We're right there. I mean, you walk right in this back door, and you're right there. Didn't take us... A minute to see it and then get out of there, and everybody was mad at us, weren't they? Because we stuck in the back door. It's wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not stewardship. Stewardship of our time. That's good. I, I, yeah, I got to remember that. That's that's good. I said he had a full head of hair when we went to Israel. Okay, putting your stewardship to work. Here we go. Oh, I just asked a couple of questions at the break. I, one question was about gold. Probably too late. Once you hear, see something advertised on television, it's probably too late. I would just caution you. Now, I say that with a little bit of question mark in my mind because uh, they're printing a lot of money in Washington, D.C., and they're putting a lot of money into this country of ours, and it's got to stimulate inflation. Where that's going to head, nobody knows. Nobody knows. We're plowing new ground, and uh, a lot of concerns there. And I would like to think that once this economy shows a continual growth and return that they would stop spending the stimulus, but I don't know if they'll do that. So we'll see what happens. But right now, I would caution you about gold. It's probably too late. Um, so, I, yeah, just a word to the wise. I would be cautious. Someone else said something about paying off the mortgage. Pay off your mortgage. Someone said that they told them that probably should always have a mortgage payment. That's baloney. That's absolute baloney. Folks, if you're in a 15% tax bracket... If you got a $1,000 payment to the government or to the lender on your mortgage, probably 800 of its interest. So you're probably paying $10,000 a year in interest to the bank. You're not getting it all back on your tax return. Maybe 15% of it. Maybe 25% of it to those in your high tax bracket. So let's say you get 25% of it back. You're getting $2,500 back, you're getting 5000 to the bank, 7500 to the bank. That's not good stewardship. Pay off your mortgage as soon as you can pay off your mortgage. All right. Putting your stewardship to work. The endless stories of get-rich-quick schemes, glib guides to easy profits in the stock market, real estate and other investment avenues can occasionally leave you wondering whether you're missing out. That sort of confusion can be dangerous if it causes you to leap into something without doing a lot of homework. Good organization planning and record-keeping are important keys to a financial stewardship because they help you make the right decisions. Questions to ask yourself. Is there too much month left at the end of the money? Is your house payment too high for your salary? You buy clothes, you buy more clothes than you wear. Are you paying too much for insurance? Do you cash checks or raid the cash machine every couple of days without knowing why? Budget process. I'm big on budgeting. The exercise of preparing a budget is more important than controlling that budget. Folks, when you sit down and prepare a budget, you have to make choices. You have to make some decisions about your lifestyle. That's the important area of a, bu- of a budget. Controlling it is mechanical. Controller is just mechanical. It's just doing the numbers every month. It's sitting down and deciding where your money's going to go and when it's going to go there. That's the key part of a budget. And, you know, we've got to remember, a budget is a roadmap of what you want to accomplish through your family expressed in monetary terms. That's what a budget does. That's what a budget does for a church. That's what a budget does for a business. For sure, that's what it does for a family. Just a roadmap. So you don't cast it in concrete. It's not inflexible. 
If it becomes inflexible, it's a taskmaster. If it's, if it's, if it's flexible, it's a tool. My wife and I, we, 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 we augmented our budget all the time. Things change, circumstances change, desires change. And so we would redo the budget to fit what we thought God would have us do. And so it was never cast in concrete. It wasn't a war club. It was a tool to control our financial issues. Four issues of having a budget. Number one, it helps you control your debt. It's not in your handout. Number two, you earn cheaper interest rates because you're making your payments on time. Number three, you, save, you can save money for the future because you know where your money's going. And number four, it'll improve your relationship with your spouse. My wife is part of my financial stewardship, a big part of it. There are no secrets from her. You know, if she was here this morning, she'll be here tomorrow. You could do it tomorrow. Put us in separate rooms. Ask us some questions, basic, basic questions. How much money is left in the checking account? We could both tell you. I can tell you. She can tell you. What bills are yet to be paid this month? I can tell you in detail. She can come pretty close. What paychecks are yet to come in this month? She can tell you and I can tell you. You know what that means? My wife and I, independent of each other, know our cash flow. Cash is king. Cash is king. We know our cash flow. We know when we can stay in a nicer motel. We know when we can eat in a nicer restaurant. We know when we can do things for the kids, the grandkids. We know when we can go to a Michigan game because we know our cash flow. That's the key. Most people don't have a clue what their cash flow is. And they make decisions not knowing that. And then they end up with the consequences. Okay, the budget process. Budget shouldn't take more than four hours to set up, 30 minutes a week to maintain. It will take seven to nine months for the budget plan to work efficiently. Common budgeting errors, you don't use it, you make it so difficult you can't live with it. People should fix maximum levels of spending and not just keep readjusting for income increases. Down below is a general guideline for your budget. These percentages are typical for a family of two, three, four, five. I use giving at 11%. New Testament doesn't teach tithing. It teaches proportionate giving. So I try to get people off the 10% and get them on 11%. <laughs> I have guys who call me and say, I tithe 6%. I say, well, a little bit of a contrast in that statement, but tithing is 10%. All right? Next page. Budget worksheet. Budget worksheet. You know, creating and living by budget is a hassle. I know that. But living by budget is absolutely necessary if you want to make progress financially. Monitor your spending for three consecutive months. We're coming into October. Monitor your spending for the month of October by category. Do it for October, November, December. Those are great months to do it in. By the fourth month, folks, you'll begin to commit it to memory. You begin to commit it to memory. We're creatures of habit. And it'll become a game to you because you'll want to know what you're doing the next month. Or what did I do the previous month? Where did my money go? You know, if you start the month of October with a couple hundred dollars in your checking account, you bring in $3,000 of new paychecks. You got $3,200 to spend the month of October. The end of, end of October, you have $100 left in your checking account. You spent $3,100. Where did it go? When someone says to you, I don't know where my money goes, what they're really saying is I'm a poor steward. Stewardship says I know where my money goes. Map this out. Do this for 12 consecutive months. You'll see the cycle for a year. 
where your money goes, when it goes there, the hot spots will jump out at you. First few times my wife and I did this worksheet when we were first married, we found out we were spending too much money eating out. Well, we still spend too much money eating out, but at least we know where it's going. (laughs) And it works. Folks, when you do this for three consecutive months, that's your budget. That becomes your budget because you know where your money's going. See? The debt trap warning. These are warning signs. Bills are consistently paid late. You pay your bills late, you're going to damage your credit score. You only pay the minimum amount on your credit cards. Collection agencies have contacted you. Like I said earlier, they're vultures. They're, they know how to go for your jugular. Your credit card limits have been reached, which means you've broken your ratio. More of your income is being spent on debt payments. Once you get over 10% of your income on installment payments, you're bumping the line, not counting your mortgage. You're, 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 you're bumping the line. You go over 10%, you've crossed the line. You ought to keep your, your, your payments, your installment payments, under 10% of your total take-home pay. It's a good rule of thumb. Not counting mortgage now. You need overtime or second job to pay your bills. Guys will say to me, if I don't get overtime this month, I can't meet my budget. My first question is, how in the world did you get in that position? Something's wrong with your process. Your spouse needs to work in order to pay bills. With us, that violated a stay-at-home mom principle. I tell college kids, if you're gonna, you get married, your wife's going to work, don't live on her income. Save it. Save it. Pay off educational debt. I get the call from I do chapels at the college. Uh, what about borrowing money for your education? I say, that's an investment in your future. Nothing wrong with that. Borrowing money to get through college is an investment in their future. But I'll say to them, when did you get out of college, pay that thing off. Well, it's only 1% interest. I don't care if it's interest-free. Pay it off. It's debt. It's debt. Number eight, losing your job would be financially catastrophic. The people that survived this downturn the best are people who had money put aside. They had their budget under control. They had an emergency fund. Number nine, you regularly rob, you regularly rob Peter to pay Paul. You just, you're just constantly moving your money around to meet your obligations. That's not good. Ten, money is constantly on your mind. In other words, money controls your life. Now let me say this. You'll never hear me say it's ungodly to file bankruptcy. I don't agree with that. A lot of the bankruptcy laws came out of the Old Testament. Bankruptcy there's for a reason. Example. I drive out of here tomorrow afternoon with my wife. We're going west on 80. We get in an automobile accident. I kill a guy. And I'm at fault. And the family sues me for $5 million and I lose. My insurance covers me for a million. I can't deal with that. How can I deal with that? That's what bankruptcy's for. My wife goes on dialysis. She gets a kidney infection. She runs up a $2 million hospital bill. And my health insurance covers me for a million. I can't deal with that. How can I deal with that on my income? That's bankruptcy. That's when you file bankruptcy. That's legitimate. Now, what about frivolous spending, frivolous lifestyle? And you file bankruptcy. Different issue. 
Now there's chapter 7, there's chapter 13. Chapter, chapter 7 is outright liquidation. You walk away from it. Chapter 13 is you reorganize. Nothing wrong with that. You go to a judge and say, Judge, I've got some financial difficulties, lost my job, health exp- expenditures, whatever. I need to reorganize. These, these creditors are driving me nuts. Get them off my back, I'll pay them back. That's reorganization. That's chapter 13. That's legitimate. Chapter 7 is, I'm toast. I can't deal with this. And so the judge approves your bankruptcy, you walk away from the debt. Now, I'll counsel people. I've counseled some Christians to do that. They don't have an option. They don't have, an op- they don't have an, another alternative. Some just got saved. They lived a high lifestyle. And now they're paying the consequences for that. They can't deal with that. <clears throat> and I'll say, yeah, I would recommend Chapter 7 bankruptcy. I've recommended it rarely, but I have. However, when it comes to frivolous debt, you have a moral obligation. It may take you 10 years. It may take you 15 years. You pay those people back. Least the principal on that debt, <clears throat> not the exorbitant interest. The principal. I'm looking for a changed heart. That's what I'm looking at. When I counsel people on financial issues, I want to see a right heart. That's what I'm looking for. If I see a right heart, I can work with that. Get a handle on your debts. Bottom of, of the page there. That's what I do with people when I counsel them on financial difficulties. I say, I want to. I want to see a. Outline of your debts. What do you owe? Who do you owe it to? What's your monthly payment? What's your interest rate? I want to see that. Now I can begin to work with them. Now you set a target date to get out of debt. Installment loans excluding your mortgage should be less than 10% of take-home pay. I already said that. Your goal should be to eliminate all installment debt. That was one of our financial plans we got married we were going to do our best to minimize our installment debt yeah we had to buy cars on time when we were first married 10 years later we got to the point where we paid cash for our cars i haven't had a car loan in over 30 years and i'll show you the process and how i did that mortgage payment including insurance and tax should not exceed 40 percent of take-home pay consolidation loans work only if you change your habits and stop careless spending people who get consolidation loans typically they don't change their habits doesn't take long, get back the same old habit. Now they got the old habit debt, and then they got the consolidation loan to deal with. That's why I'm looking for a changed heart. How to get out of debt. Stop all new indebtedness immediately. Promise to put all extra income into debt retirement. Have a garage sale. Get rid of your stuff. Put it on the debt. Examine food costs. Everybody can make a cut. Begin immediately to do it yourself instead of paying for services. This is hard for me to do. My toolbox is a screwdriver, a hammer, and a pair of pliers, and they're all labeled. I get a hammer in my my hand. My wife gets very nervous about what I'm going to destroy. (laughs) Set a challenge and goal for debt retirement on a pay period basis. Make all the necessary sacrifices until you're out of debt. That's the issue. Get out of debt. That's how I buy my cars. The next sheet. Call it 2-4 junk. 
<coughs> if anybody remembers me from my seminars, this is the one they remember. Oh, you're the two four junk guy. I buy cars one and a half to two years old, drive them four years, and get rid of them. You know, if you want a flashy car, drive it or write a check. There's a reason they call them luxury cars, folks. You have to lease a luxury car; you can't afford it. <coughs> That's why I tell businessmen: if you have to leave that, lease that luxury car you're driving, you can't afford it. You can't afford it. This is how I got to the point where I pay cash for my cars. If I was going to buy a car today and I wanted to get to the point where I paid cash, here's how I'd do it. I'd get a one and a half to two year old car. <clears throat> Say I pay fourteen thousand for it. You can buy a nice used car today for fourteen grand because the car market's in the tank. Put four thousand dollars down, finance the balance to say at eight percent for three years. I wouldn't buy it unless it had less than twenty-five thousand miles on it. Sometimes I get a warranty with it. That's how I buy my cars. You know where I buy them? Heard Savis National Car Rental. I buy them from the rental agencies. That's where I get my cars. That's where I buy my personal cars. Now my ministry car is a new car every year because I drive put so many miles on it. My personal cars are two four junk. I buy them from the lease outlets. Every lease outlet has a regional sales outlet. I'm sure there's sales outlets in Omaha, for sure, in Lincoln. <coughs> you can call Hertz Rent-A-Car. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. This is from the Dead Sea, probably, huh? <laughs> call them. Call, call National Car Rental. Call Budget. Where's your regional sales outlet? Adjacent to Omaha. They'll tell you. First time, first year, I put four thousand down, pay three thirteen a month for thirty six months. So I paid a total of fifteen thousand two eighty for that fourteen thousand dollar car. But now it's paid off. So after three years, I own it free and clear. Two four junk. Going to keep it four. Fourth year, I put three hundred dollars into a savings account. Save thirty six hundred dollars for three years. Get about a hundred dollars in interest of it. Sell the car at the end of the fourth year. Now it's a six-year-old car because I bought it when it was two years old. I get 40, 45% of what I paid for it originally. So let's say I get $6,300 for this $14,000 car. I got $10,000 available now. Second time, fifth year, go out and buy another two-year-old car. I'm going to pay $16,000 now because of inflation. Put 10 down, finance six. Finance six for one and a half years. Pay three ninety six a month. That's not that much more than what I was paying before. Maybe another eighty bucks a month. Now at the end of one and a half years, I own the car free and clear. Next two and a half years, put three hundred dollars a month in the savings account. It takes discipline. You'll save nine thousand dollars over that two and a half years. Say two fifty in interest. Sell the car at the end of the fourth year. You got seventy two hundred dollars. Now you got sixteen thousand four fifty. Pay cash for your next car. My wife and I now put two hundred dollars away every month to replace our car. We do that every month. That's just something we do. It's discipline. We're ready to buy the next car anytime she needs another car. And that's her car. That's how you do that. And there's great car buys out there right now. Boy, shop the market because, boy, the automobile industry is hurting. Next page, your investments. You're going to hire a broker. Look at the middle there. Your broker should fit the following profile. Chemistry. You relate to them. You either do or you don't. 
if you meet with a broker to manage your money and it just isn't the chemistry there, you're just not quite sure. Walk out. Walk out. There should be a chemistry between you. Trust. Your interest must come first. Your broker is a fiduciary. Needs to be open and honest with you. Transparent with you. I pick up the phone. I want to talk to my broker. If he's out of town for a couple hours at a seminar, okay. But I want to talk to him when he gets back. If I have to keep calling him to talk to him, he's not going to be my broker very long. Number three, that's service. Number four, results. Is he making some money for you? Do you understand his reports? Yeah, the last few years have been tough for everybody. Oh, my broker lost me money. Well, everybody lost money. Now it should have rebounded. Since last March 9th, you should see some positive numbers. Mortgage loans. Look at the $300,000 mortgage, the first one. Saying you've got a 6% mortgage. You ought to be able to do better than that now. You ought to be able to get it under 5 Your monthly payment is $17.99 a month. Times 12 months, $21,000 a year. You take 30 years to pay that house off, you'll pay $647,000 for that $300,000 mortgage. It's a lot of interest. Now add $550 a month to your payment. Over time, you should be able to do that. Instead of paying $1,800, pay $2,349. You pay it off 17 years, not 30. And look at the summary over at the right-hand column there. Pay it off in 17 years, and you'll save over $168,000 in interest. People get increases in salary. You know what they do? They bump their lifestyle. How about get rid of your mortgage? Keep the same lifestyle. It's something my wife and I focused on. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. K-I-S-S. Right? Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> we talk about that all the time, my wife and I do. Never was, imp never was impressed to, to impress somebody, to massage your egos. Get out of that. That's not an attribute for a believer. It's not what drives us. Meet our needs, take care of the needs of our family, protect our family from a catastrophic occurrence, plan for the future, and be generous. Be generous. Your retirement planning. Look at this. Less than half of those eligible participate in an employee's matching pension plan. I'll get this call during tax season. I get it every year. I got, a, I got it a few times this last tax season. Pastor will say to this guy, call Jim, ask him that question. This is a phone call. Jim, I work for IBM. If I put 8% of my salary into the IBM's 401k, they'll match it. They'll match it. Then he'll pause. And you'll say to me, Jim, you think that's a good deal? <laughs> no, that's a terrible deal. Why would you ever want to double your money? That's an incredible question. His elevator doesn't go to the top floor, obviously, or he's a few quarts low, or his kids say a few fries short of a happy meal. 53% of the people in this country who work for corporations who have matching pension plans, 53% do not take advantage of it. That's incredible. 47% do. If you're between, listen to this statistic. 
If you're between the ages of 50 and 59 and you have a company pension plan and you change jobs, 68% bail out of the pension plan and spend the money. You think about that. And pay the tax. And if they're under 59 and a half, pay the penalty, which could be 40 to 45% tax on that bailout. Why? It's lifestyle. I want what I want. I want it now. Their reasons? Lack of financial discipline. I don't have enough money, they say. I'll never retire anyway. You might lose your health. I know retirement's not in the Bible. Goal of a believer should be to become financially independent so you can donate all your time to serve your church. That's a great goal. They'll say retirement's a long way off. I'm 67. I just graduated from high school yesterday, it seems like. It moves fast, really fast. Or they'll say I have too much credit card debt. Key ingredients for retirement planning, a job that allows you to put money away. Participating in Social Security, and it will be here. Social Security will be here. Don't believe everything the talking hairdos on television tell you. It's all they are. They're talking hairdos. They read from a script. They're not smart. Or they'd get a real job, right? <laughs> talking hairdos, that's what they are. Social Security will be here. You know why? It has to be here. Folks, there's between 45 and 50 million Social Security recipients in this country. Think about what would happen if 45 million Social Security recipients, senior citizens, stopped getting their retirement checks. Think of the consequences of that. Depression. Worldwide depression. What would it do to this country? Those yahoos in Washington, D.C. wouldn't get hung in effigy. They'd get hung. Not going to happen. They'll fix it. It's not a 100% problem. Read the actuarials. The toughest actuarial studies say it's a 26% problem, not a 100% problem. They'll fix it. It's not that difficult to fix it. It just takes courage to vote it. This is how you project your retirement income. Look at this. You want 80% of your take-home pay when you retire. It's your next page. You want 80% of your take-home pay when you retire. If you're taking home 50 grand a year, you want 40,000 when you retire. You should get 20,000 plus from Social Security for you and your spouse. If you need 40, you're going to get say 21.6 from Social Security. You need another 18.4 from some source. Take 18,400 divided by 5%, assuming you can get a 5% return on your investment. You need $368,000 at 5% to reach your goal of 40,000. Now look at the bottom. Put 2,000 a year into a tax shelter retirement plan. Get an 8% annual average return over your lifetime. Start at age 40. You end up with $169,000 when you're 65. Start earlier, participate in your employer's matching pension plan, you'll hit that number very early. You'll live very comfortably. Folks, it's not rocket science. It's discipline. It's discipline. Discipline. Financial management's not difficult. Be generous. Take care of the needs of your family. Protect your family from a catastrophic occurrence. 
premature death, premature disability, plan for the future. Retirement plan, have a will or trust. That's it. That's it. Now look at the life insurance page. Work down that little worksheet, it'll tell you how much life insurance you should have. You're probably talking between five hundred and seven hundred and fifty thousand in today's economy. I'm a term guy. You buy life insurance to protect your family from a catastrophic occurrence. You don't say I have some money in to invest, I'm gonna buy life insurance. You don't do that. You buy a product that protects your family from a catastrophic occurrence. Yes, there are some times when you should have whole life insurance with cash values, but you need a good life insurance guy to steer you through that. Typically, it's term insurance. That's what I've bought. I bought my first term policy when Pam was born. I was 24. I bought a 10-level term policy. Half a million dollars, 10-level, premium stayed the same, coverage stayed the same, 24 to 34 for 10 years. When did I renew it? When I was 29. I found the biggest jump in the premiums was when I'm on the decade of my birthday. So I didn't want to renew it when I was 30. I renewed it when I was 29. I'm making more money at 29. I, went for, I got a 20 level, 29 to 49. That's how I did that. When I was 24, I couldn't afford a 20 level. The longer you get the coverage for, the more expensive it is. You can buy a 10 level policy, 20 level policy, 30 level policy. 30 level means it stays the same for 30 years. The coverage, the, the premium. I could afford a 10 level. I couldn't afford a 20 level. It just stretches too much. So I got a 10 level, 24 to 34. Now, 24 to 29, I'm making more money. I was able to buy a 20 level. So I went from 29 to 49. I renewed it at 39. I went 39 to 59. That's how I did that. That's how you do it. Then you're getting the best protection for the cheapest dollar. That's what you're doing. Remember, term insurance is just protection. You're not building any cash values. You're just protecting your family from a catastrophic occurrence. That's what you're doing. If you're in your 50s and you don't have a retirement plan, get your head out of the sand. You're not going to take your Social Security at 62. You're not going to retire at 62. You're not going to be able to. You need to get to work now and get on top of this thing. Shopping tips, middle of the page. Do not buy an impulse alone. Allow only one purchase at a time that is not a part of your plan budget. Never buy impulse items with credit. Stay out of the store unless it's necessary. Don't overextend finance for gift items. Keep a calendar of gift-giving events to plan ahead. Do not buy gifts on credit. Good grocery buying habits. Always use a written list of needs. Never go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Summary, control your credit cards, evaluate your standard of living, have short and long-range goals for your family, guard your financial integrity. There's nothing wrong with looking at your life and feeling good about a job well done for God. And down at the bottom, Luke 16, 10 and 11. He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in what in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? God can't trust you with a minor thing like stewardship and money. How can he trust you with the most important things of life, the souls of people? Good question.
Okay, now let's get into the state planning. You take your hand out. All I'm saying here is have a financial plan for your life, folks. That's all I'm saying. Start with these basic principles we just talked about. Stewardship is not just money, time, or talent. Stewardship is all of these and more. Stewardship is the very life God has given us, and someday we shall be responsible to give an account of it all to him. That's out of David Jeremiah's book on finance. Two precious freedoms, the right to accumulate an estate, the right to give it away before and after you die. $250 million per week goes into probate court undesignated because people die without wills and without heirs. 30% of adults have a will written correctly. You'll understand this more as we get into it. Less than 10% of adults have done any serious estate planning. 11 of 12 women will become widows and will be widows for an average of 11 and a half years. Why spend 40 years acquiring an estate, 10 years trying to conserve it, but not two hours on what you're going to do with it? Shake off any notion that you need to be rich for you need an estate plan. If you're like most Christians, tax considerations take a far back seat to the top priority of estate planning, taking care of your heirs and the Lord's work. What's at stake is perhaps best seen by conjuring up the mess you can leave behind if you procrastinate all the way to the grave and die without a will. Your state's rules of intestacy will provide a one-size-fits-all estate plan for you. That simply means either you have a will of the state of Nebraska's prepared it for you, or Iowa, if that's where you live. You do not want to die and have your state pass according to the laws of your state. You want to prepare your own estate planning. Contrast that to the almost unlimited flexibility that's yours if you write a comprehensive estate plan, including a will and living trust. You have the right to name the guardian of your choice. You can slice the pie however you choose. You want grandmother's hush to go to a favorite niece, your home to your church, no problem if you have an estate plan. Page 2. We're going to talk about wills here. Then I'm going to get into the living trust. Let me say this to you. Passing your estate from spouse to spouse is not that difficult. It's the second death is where it gets difficult. I pass away, my wife inherits. I pass away, my wife passes away. Now it becomes complex because the spouses are gone. That's where the will and trust becomes very, very important. Terms to be familiar with, testator, testatrix, a person who makes a will. Testator is a male, testatrix is a female. Surprise, you're not using test a person today. A will is a writing that provides for the distribution of property by the death of the writer, but which confers no rights prior to that time, I recommend you use an attorney. They're professionals, they know the laws of your state, and they know the federal laws. Codicil is how you amend a will. You never have a will prepared by an attorney for you. You want to make a change, you cross it out and write above it. You just voided the whole document. You write a legal amendment. It's called a codicil. Community property, you're not a community property state, so ignore that paragraph. Probate is the act by which a proper court accepts a will and declares that the instrument satisfies the statutory requirements as the will of the person who wrote it. Until a will is probated, it has no legal effect. Probate costs vary from state to state. It can cost as much as 5 to 8% of your estate to probate your will at your death. It takes typically nine months to probate a will. Probate court's in charge while your estate is being probated. Three people in your life, executor or personal representative, guardians or trustees, 
Executor, a personal representative, is the person who takes care of your estate when you die. My wife was mine, I'm hers. My wife and I would have been killed in a common accident. Our son was the alternate. It's a very important person who you choose when you put it in your, in your will. Who is going to be your personal executive, executor, your personal administrator? They have decision-making They have decision-making powers. Guardians take care of minor children. If you're here this morning and you have minor children under the age of 18, you need a will for this purpose alone. Who takes care of the minor kids in case mom and dad get killed in an accident? Four recommendations. You nominate guardians. You don't appoint them. A judge has final say. A judge always has final say on guardianship issues. You nominate the guardian. And you nominate them through your will. Four things to consider. Favor relatives over third parties wherever possible. The judge has final say. And so you want to recommend somebody that he's comfortable with and if the kids are older enough that they're comfortable with. Because he'll ask the kids, how do you feel about going to so-and-so as your new parents? Number two, develop a relationship between the child and the person you've named as the kids get older. My, my, my wife and I named my brother and his wife as guardians. As the kids got older, we told the kids that. Now, your Uncle Don and your Aunt Peg will become your parents if something happens to Mom and Dad. Number three, name at least three potential guardians. Obviously, a godly home is the number one prerequisite. You're going to have, you're going to have a primary, then alternate number one, alternate number two. Why three? Because it would be difficult for a judge to turn down all three. You live in a very different culture, folks. There's a lot of liberal judges that have been appointed to the bench today. And there's judges making decisions that we don't like them making because they're liberals. There was a case in Connecticut a couple of years ago where two couples lived across the street from each other. <clears throat> One was a pastor and his wife, church just like this church. A couple across the street were members of the church, had a three-year-old daughter. The couple had it set up in their will, so if something happened to them, the pastor's wife would get the three-year-old little girl. The pastor's wife were killed in an accident. The pastor and his wife assumed they would get the little girl. A lady on their block wrote a letter to social services complaining that the pastor and his wife were religious fanatics. Social services came in, took the three-year-old girl, put her in a foster home. Pastor's wife took it to court, lost. Appealed it to appellate court, lost. Took it to the Connecticut Supreme Court, lost. It took $100,000 of their money to challenge it through court, and they lost all along the way. Took that much paperwork for the process that they lost on. They were encouraged to take it to the U.S. Supreme Court. They thought about it. They prayed about it. Problem was, would it get on the docket? If it did, it may be years. The concern was, even if they took it to the U.S. Supreme Court and won, the three-year-old would probably be a teenager. Now what? Would the court take that girl out of that foster home? Nobody knew. So they didn't challenge it. So they wrote an article, and they recommended these four recommendations when it comes to guardianship issues. 
trustee is a person who takes care of money for another's benefit. Miners don't inherit money. When my wife and I had a will when we were younger, we had it set up so that if something happened to Joan and I, the money that was in the trust fund would take care of the kids through college. That's how we did that. And our children would not have inherited outright until the youngest one hit the age of 24, which would have been Jim. When Jim would have hit 24, so assuming my wife and I are in the Lord's presence, when Jim would have hit the age of 24, what would have been left in the trust fund would have divided third to him, a third to his sister, a third to the Lord's work. That's how we did that. Those are the kind of issues you've got to address. And a good attorney will take you through those decision-making processes. That's why I recommend a Christian attorney. A Christian attorney understands who you are. A Christian attorney understands your heart. A Christian attorney will get involved in an emotional and a spiritual side of your life. A pagan won't. Because they don't understand the spiritual side of your life. That's foreign to them. Spiritual side of your life. How much, how, how much do you leave to the Lord's work? Need to help, I need to help you think about that. That's what he does. The emotional side of your life. How much do you leave to your kids until you begin to ruin them? That's the emotional side of your life. Typically, non-Christian attorneys go to their textbook. Well, you have an estate of this size, this is what you should do with it. A lot of them will discourage you from leaving any money to the Lord's work. Leave it all to the kids. Because that's what they're taught. Tennessee in common, Tennessee by entirety, joint Tennessee's right of survivorship is how you pass ownership outside the will. Typically, you see the last one, JTRS, Joint Tenancy with Right of Survivorship. If you went to the bank Monday morning and looked at your signature cards, you would see you and your spouse's name on it with that little initial JTRS. That means Joint Tenancy with Right of Survivorship. That means if one passes away, the other one has immediate access and immediate ownership. You'll see that on the deeds to your home. You see the deed to your home is in your both your names with the little initials JTRS. That means... One dies, a survivor has immediate ownership, immediate possession. State tax is the everything tax. It's an excise tax levied on the transfer of a person's property by the federal government in excess of the unified credit. And it covers all your assets. And it's 37%. Now, rules have changed in recent years. This year, the, the unified credit is $3.5 million dollars. Very large. That means the first $3.5 million of your estate passes to your kids tax-free. It's a lot of money. When I started this, it was like $350,000. It's really changed. Next year, it's unlimited. When Bush talked about permatizing the tax law changes, this is the one primarily he was talking about. Not the only one, but the primary one. Because in 2011, it reverts back to the old rules of a million dollars. That's why the joke, if you're into this arena, is if you're going to die, die in 2010. Because the state that passes, especially for prosperous people, because your whole state then passes to your heirs tax-free. That will change. That's being discussed right now in committee. Right now the committee is overwhelmed with health care. So there are a lot of things that are going on the side burner. Health care should probably go on the side burner for a while, but it probably won't. They need to get that one right. We'll see what happens. Inheritance tax is the everything tax. Excuse me. Inheritance tax is the state death tax. Most states have gotten, gotten rid of inheritance taxes. 
may come back because states are starving for money now. California's broke. California's broke. I think there's still a little inheritance tax in Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken. Page three. What ends when you make your will? You exercise your right to decide how your property will be distributed. You provide for your heirs in a way that you choose. You make sure that others won't distribute your property according to their whims or uninformed opinions, like the state of Nebraska. You keep your property from going to undeserving people. You can disinherit if you want to. I had a guy in a seminar a couple weeks ago in Akron, Ohio. He said to me, I'm going to disinherit my son. And I said, why? He's, he's, uh, he won't accept Christ. He's walked away from the Lord, walked away from the church. And I said, what happens if he accepts Christ at your funeral? He didn't know how to handle that one. Number five, you use a channel, written will to remit charitable bequests. Don't forget the Lord's work in your estate planning. By the grace of God, we have what we have. Start with your church. Number six, you provide guardians for your children if they're minors. Number seven, you avoid misunderstandings among your heirs. Folks, I know biological brothers and sisters today who don't speak because of the way mom and dad's antiques and heirlooms were divided up at death. They don't speak. I witnessed a fist fight in a funeral home between two brothers who were fighting over their dad's gun collection. He's in a casket. We had to take him outside, break it up. <clears throat> you say that doesn't happen. It does happen. Mom and dad, you can take care of that. You decide who gets what. You can have a personal property list and you can just write out who gets the hutch, who gets the piano, who gets the organ. If you have an organ. Well, my daughter would be unhappy with me if I do this. And I'll say, your daughter, you're in heaven. Tell her to talk to you in heaven. Come on. Number eight, you have the final word in fulfilling your goals, a good provider, a good citizen, a good steward of your property. What happens if you don't have a will? We talked about that. You die intestate. That means the state takes over. You don't want to go there. Look at the bottom. If you have a will now, check to see, has there been a change in your marital status? Has there been a change in your health status? Have you moved to another state since making your will? Maybe you had your will drafted in California and you moved to Nebraska. State laws are different. California is a community property state. Nebraska is not. The process is different here. You need to have it reviewed. Are your beneficiaries still living? Are they still worthy? You want to keep the same executor, guardian, or trustee. Maybe things have changed and you want to make some changes in who does what. Number six, do you still own the specific properties that were mentioned? I, I did a seminar in, in Idaho a couple of years ago. Boise, Idaho. Guy of a widower, he had two apartment buildings. Two sons. He dies, one son gets one, the other son gets the other. He sold the one apartment building, forgot all about amending his estate plan. So when he read number six there, he went, whoops, and the light goes on. Number seven, is your family secure enough to make you to switch some bequests from them to charitable organizations? My son-in-law is a physician. My son's a CPA. We've told both our kids, as you get on financially, we're probably going to leave less to you kids and more to the Lord's work. They won't come to my seminars anymore. I think they're getting their legs cut off. <laughs> number eight, you may then need to review your will or trust with your attorney. 
Page four. It's a critical page. I'm going to go through the details. I'll let you do that. What happens if? Years ago, I did a seminar in Kalispell, Montana, about 20-some years ago now. And I did this seminar on a weekend, and Sunday night I did a will seminar, and there was two widows who had just become widows in the church, elderly ladies. They didn't know up from down. So they asked me to stay over another day and work with them, which I did. But it was a, it was a wake-up call for me. Here I am doing these seminars. I got home to the Tri-Cities of Washington and sat down with my wife that next night and said, Honey, we need to put a checklist together in case something happens to me. So we put a checklist together. We answered all these questions. We put all our documents in a pile. Marriage license, deed to the house, title to the cars, life insurance policies, pension plans. Put it all in a pile. Put a rubber band around that pile. Answered all of these questions. Put the answers on a piece of eight and a half by 14 yellow pad paper. Took that yellow pad paper, wrapped it around those documents, and put it on our safety deposit box. If I die, my wife goes to the safety deposit box, gets it out, takes it home, puts it on a dining room table. She knows where everything is. She knows exactly what she has to do. After she's grieved, of course. <laughs> my wife and I are killed. My son's successor trustee of our trust. He's on the signature card of the safety deposit box. They don't seal them anymore. He goes to the safety deposit box, gets out all these documents, puts them on his dining room table. He knows exactly what he has to do. He knows where everything is at. Folks, that is stewardship. Every one of you need to do that in the next 30 days following this little worksheet. Got number 13. Widow, don't loan money to relatives without independent counsel. I could write a book on this one. I know a lot of widows who've been taken advantage of by charlatans. And sometimes the charlatans in the family. Oh, mom. Oh, aunt. If I just had $25,000 knowing she's going to inherit some money from life insurance policies, oh, my business would be on its way. She's grieving. It's hard to say no. And it's not a good use of her money because the business is already on a fine line between success and failure. So she loans the money and never gets it back. I know widows who put, the, put a son or daughter on the deed to the house. I want my daughter to get my house. So she puts her on the deed, name on the deed. Very dangerous to do that. Why? What happens if something happens to the daughter? She files bankruptcy. First question that bankruptcy judge is going to ask her, are you in any joint tenant relationship with anybody? Well, yeah, with my mother. I'm on the deed to her house. The attorney just found some money. I know of widows who have lost their homes over that one. Put the home in a trust. Then a creditor can't attach it. Bankruptcy can't touch it unless it's the widow that declares bankruptcy. Look at the bottom of page four. Too often a lot of time and money could be spared if a departed spouse could return for 20 minutes and answer a few simple questions. Page five. 
Now, let's get into the living trust. My wife and I were concerned a number of years ago about probate, the cost of probate, and the delay of probate. We determined that we did not want our estate controlled by probate court after we're death, after our death. We didn't want to pay the 5 to 8% it might cost for probate. So we put together a family trust. Because our last name is Rickard, it's called the Rickard Family Trust. Family trust has a life of its own. It's an entity of its own. It's almost like a corporation, although it's not a corporation. It's revocable, which means it's changeable. My wife and I are co-trustees. We control the trust. It's our trust. We then funded the trust with our deeded entitled assets. My wife and I have a condominium in California. My wife and I do not own the condominium anymore. It's owned by the Rickard Family Trust. We are the trustees, so we control the home. We pay the mortgage payment if there was one. We deduct the mortgage interest on our tax return. We pay the real estate taxes, deduct the real estate taxes on our tax return. We maintain it. Nothing changes except we don't legally own it. The Rickard Family Trust owns our home. Our checking account is in the Rickard Family Trust. When I write a check or she writes a check, signs it just like you sign your checks, it comes out of the Rickard Family Trust. Savings accounts in the Rickard Family Trust. We own some stock. We gave our stockbroker a copy of the trust agreement. When he buys stock, he buys in the name of the Rickard Family Trust. The beneficiary of my life insurance is not my wife. It's the Rickard Family Trust. Why is that? I die. My wife inherits the life insurance. It's in her personal checking account. She dies. How does that money get to the heirs? Probate. How does it get into the trust? Probate. The beneficiary of my life insurance is the Rickard Family Trust. If I die, life insurance goes into the family trust. My wife has access, write checks on it, can do whatever she wants to do with it, even though it could be in her name. be no difference, except it's owned by the trust. That trust passes probate. There is no probate for all of our assets that are in the trust. That's the advantage of the trust. Circumvents the probate process. Look at the advantages of a revocable living trust in your handout. Page five. Bypasses probate. You've just taken probate out of your life. You've just taken the government out of your, the life of your estate. There will be minimal or no attorney fees at death. The attorney fees are when you had the attorney prepare the trust. Letter C, distribution can take place immediately. My wife and I are killed tomorrow afternoon. My, my son gets word of it, gets the documents, takes it home. The minute he converts the assets to cash, he can begin distributing it to himself, his sister, and the Lord's work. Next day, he just has to make sure all the bills are paid because he's the trustee. Letter D, you can revoke it or change it at any time. As long as my wife and I are alive, or my wife or I are alive, we can change the trust. The minute the second death occurs, the trust becomes in concrete. It's irrevocable. My son cannot change the trust. He can only carry out our wishes in the trust. <coughs> Let her see it's confidential. Rules are a matter of public record. Folks, if one of you passed away this week, any one of us could go to the county courthouse 
in about three weeks and get a copy of your will if you had one. It's a matter of public record. Trusts are confidential, confidential to the heirs and the trustee. They're not a matter of public record. That's huge right there. Letter F, very difficult to contest a trust successfully. Very difficult. Let me say it to you this way. You pass the ownership of your assets at your death by will. You pass that ownership under probate law. You pass the ownership of your assets to your heirs at your death with a trust. You're passing that ownership under contract law. My wife and I have written a legal binding contract with our heirs honored by all 50 states. Let's say you're a snowbird and you live in Nebraska or Iowa part of the year. You live in Florida or Arizona part of the year. And let's say you have a home in Florida and a home in Nebraska and you die with a will. You got probate in Nebraska. You got an attorney in Nebraska. You got a, you got a, you got probate in Florida. You got an attorney in Florida. Let's say you put both properties in your trust. They're owned by the trust and you die. You don't have probate in either state. You don't have an attorney in either state because they're owned by the trust. Pretty slick. That's why trusts are becoming so popular. Disadvantages of a revocable living trust. All property you wish to be distributed through the trust must be put into the trust. You have to fund the trust. <clears throat> the attorney will help you do that. Letter B, the trust must be maintained over your lifetime. You have to remember, you buy a piece of property, you buy it into the trust. You sell your home, you sell it out of the trust. You just sign, go to the title company, you sign as trustees. Now you're not buying another home, you've got to remember to buy it into the trust. Some people don't remember that. I'll stay at somebody's house. And maybe I've done a will and trust seminar at their church. And I'll say, would you look at our trust? So they'll bring it out and I'll look at it. And I'll say, yeah, it's a good document. And I'll say to them, who owns your home? Well, my my wife and I do. You haven't funded the trust with your home. If you die, you're still into probate. Because you own the home, not the trust. You need to quick claim deed the home into the family trust. Attorney will help you do that. Letter C, trusts are more expensive to create. Will costs anywhere, as I say here, in Omaha, three to $500 for both documents, a will for the husband, a will for the wife. Trust will cost anywhere from $750 to $3,000, depending on how complex you are. Typically, a family trust will cost $750 to $1,500. It's a contract. You're writing a contract with your heirs. That's the key. That's the key. Page six. Powers of attorney. I'm going to look at the, the second and third one down. The special, excuse me, third and fourth one, the health care and the durable. My dad died in a hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1986 of a heart attack. He lived just down the road from Ann Arbor. The year before he died, I was back there visiting with him. I was living in Seattle at the time, and he said, Jim, I'm not going to live much longer. I don't want to be on life support. He said, I want to give you my health care power of attorney. So he did, signed the documents. When he was in hospital in Ann Arbor, I flew into Detroit, took the car to Ann Arbor, met with his two cardiologists, and they said, he's gone. He's brain dead. There's no brain waves. Your dad's on life support. He's gone. 
And I said, so we need to take him off of life support. They said, yes. So I sat down with my brother, <clears throat> my sister, and my mother, and I said, folks, he's gone. They all knew that he was. And I said, we need to unplug him. And they agreed. So I went back to the cardiologist and said, We've, we're going to unplug him. We had to be in the room when we unplugged him. That was a requirement. Now it's changed with a lot of hospitals. Now a lot of hospitals require the family to do the unplugging. You know why? Lawsuits. There was a lawsuit a couple years ago where a family said we didn't instruct the doctors to unplug him, and they sued and won. So now doctors and hospitals are becoming very concerned about liability. So now a lot of them are requiring the family to do the actual unplugging. That makes it a little more difficult. Durable power of attorney. My mother became a widow at the age of 1986. 1991, she was diagnosed with dementia living in Cedarville. Called my brother. He was the vice president at Cedarville at the time. And I said, Don, go down and get mom's D-P-O-A for durable power of attorney. He did. Went down and got it. Mom was still competent. She signed it. The minute she signed it, my brother could transact business for my mother until she died. Durable means durable through incapacitation. Power of attorney ceases at incapacitation, and you've got to get a judge involved. There's such a thing as a pour-over will that comes with a revocable family trust. I forgot to mention this. Pour-over will, P-O-U-R. If you forgot to do something in the trust, it pours through the pour-over will to get into the trust. Guardians have to be taken care of through a pour-over will. You can't handle guardianship through a trust. Because you nominate guardians, the judge has to be involved making final decisions. So, folks, you have wills, you have trusts, you have pour-over wills, you have durable power of health, you have durable power of attorney. You will face them. I have faced them all. Not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Questions? Do you have some questions? I know we've whipped through that, but I think we've covered it all adequately. But you may have some questions to ask. Tomorrow I have two CDs here in a study guide. All the CDs have all this stuff on it in detail. They'll be available tomorrow all morning. They're $25 each. I put it together about three years ago. Yes? Well, I just say you've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. <clears throat> Better make sure your estate planning's up to date. Make sure you have a trust. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, they stopped sealing them. Oh, depends on the state. You know, five to ten years ago. Yeah, they don't seal them anymore. There have been lawsuits, so Supreme Court passed a law that said you can't see it. There was a court case. Privacy issues. Yeah. That's why they don't seal them. That's why my son would have access. But he's got to be in the signature card. Yes. Yes, thank you for saying that. When it comes to guardianship issues, what I'm saying here is put a testimony on your will as to why you selected the guardians you selected. You're given the, remember, you're in heaven. You're going to give judge all the information you can give him so he can make the decision you would have wanted him to make. 
Now be careful who you nominate as guardians. My mom wanted to be the guardian for our two kids. Only problem with that, kids 13, mom's in her 70s. Not good. I never told mom she was not the guardian. I did not want to deal with that. Oh, really? I'm not good enough? She went to heaven in 07, never knowing that she wasn't the guardian. <laughs> Be careful. Can't, you can't nominate a church. can't nominate a board. has to be an individual. judge will not accept that. can't pass it. I know people have said, well, I'm going to nominate my mom and dad, and I'm going to tell them they pick somebody after we're dead. Now, you tell me, what mom and dad would do that? That's not fair to mom and dad. Trustees, you don't name two successor trustees. If you have a will, you don't name two personal representatives. Why? What if they don't agree? I know of a family in Kansas, farm. Mom, dad died, then dad died. Two sons. One lives in Kansas, the other one lives in Florida. It's been in probate for seven years. Because the son in Florida says he's emotionally tied to that farm and doesn't want to sell it. The son who lives next to the farm is not emotionally tied to the farm and wants to sell it. And they can't agree. So what should they have done? Dad should have named one, the son that lives next to the farm. Then it's a done deal. If you're going to name two, name three. Then they can vote three, two to one. Well, I don't want to offend my daughters. I got two daughters. I'll offend one. Big whoop. Offender. Not going to be an issue until after you're dead. Then you're in heaven. <laughs> Talk to me there, right? As if they'll care or even know. Yes? I recommend an attorney because they're professionals. You're buying an insurance policy in a sense. You know, the federal government and the states are messing with this area because they're looking for more revenue. And if you've had an attorney prepare your estate planning documents and there's a law passed that affects your estate planning, you wouldn't even be aware of it. That attorney that you paid has an obligation to come to you and say, you know what, there's been some changes. We need to review your estate planning. That's an insurance policy. Folks, you don't want to blow it there. You want to get that one right. You've spent your life accumulating an estate and you want to leave it to certain places, your church, your kids. You don't want to mess up on that one. You want a good professional attorney who knows how to protect your asset from someone contesting it successfully. That's why you want an attorney. Yes, in the back. Yeah, it's a maintaining a trust is simple. You know, my wife and I sit down between the football games and the, and the bowl games on the Christmas and New Year's, and we read our documents every two years. And we, you know, about every six or seven years, there's some, there's some little change we need to take place. We just take it back to the attorney. It costs us 50 to to $100. Yeah. But we read it. A lot of people have their estate planning done, put in a safety deposit box, and forget about it. Now, we read ours every two years. We reread them to make sure, because you forget to make sure it does what we want it to do. Yeah, good question. Yes?
Well, the nomination of guardians was those four that I gave you. Those are the main ones. You know, when I, when I was younger and in this thing, my wife and I were nominated. A lot of couples, we just trust they didn't go on some cruise to the North Atlantic and hit an iceberg. We'd had an instant orphanage. But I had some requirements. You know, if you're going to nominate me as guardians, I want to be the trustee of the funds. I don't want to go to a third party for permission to spend money on the kids you've put me in responsible, made me responsible for. Number two, I'm going to ask you, do you have, you have life insurance, adequate life insurance to help me take care of your kids. One had seven kids. Can you imagine? I'd have been broke the second day I had them. <laughs> we prayed long and loud about that cruise, let me tell you, <laughs> that they not go, and they didn't. I'm the seventh successor trustee from one family. I, I'm, I know. I said that wrong. There's one family I know of has seven kids. And they're all minors. So it's mom and dad are the trustees. I'm the successor trustee. And as each, as when the next kid becomes an adult, I drop, the, I drop a notch and he becomes successor. That's just to protect in case all of them get wiped out. Yes. Yes. Can you pass your estate to a charity? No. Any money you pass to charity is tax-free. Yeah, you want to avoid inheritance and death taxes? Give it all to charity. Yeah, good, good question. That's why I said to people, when the, when, the, when the unified credit was a million, which it may go back to in 2011, you know, a million dollars is not that much anymore when you throw in life insurance. You get someone with a $750,000 life insurance policy, that's seven fifty, the million right there, and that's part of the taxable estate. So I say, million dollar, first million is not taxable. Give the first million to your kids. Get everything else to the Lord's work. Then there's no tax. Yeah, a good question. You can't pass pension plans through a trust. Pension plans pass outside the trust. Because pension plans are taxable at some point to either to the people who created a pension plan or the heirs. Uncle Sam's going to get his pound of flesh eventually. Remember, a pension plan is tax-deferred to future years. So that's why I'll tell people who I counsel with, give your pension plans to the Lord's work, and there's no tax. Yes, ma'am. 401K is a pension plan. You cannot put a 401K in your trust. You have to pass it by beneficiary outside the trust. Because if you put a pension plan in the trust, the IRS takes a position, you redeemed the pension plan, it's now taxable. So you can't put a pension plan in the trust. Yes? Yeah, if I talk, found a way to, yeah, who don't want to deal with it, refuse to deal yeah, play that second CD I'll have here tomorrow. Yeah, I've done that for a lot. I get that question a lot. My mom and dad won't deal with this issue. Or my dad's a widower. He's stubborn. He just won't deal with it. I'll say, play that second CD for him. He'll deal with it. Because I get pretty specific in that thing. And that takes you out of the middle. You know, we had some yahoo from L.A. come in and, you know, thought you should listen to this second CD. But he's a good guy because he went to Israel with our pastor (laughs) and almost got arrested. (laughs) No, we didn't almost get arrested. Pat almost did, but I didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. Yes? Your kids are up and gone. Um, life insurance and 
For what? I know, it's, I know it's more important as you're young, the kids are growing, there's all kinds of... Yeah, there comes a point when you should become self-insured for life insurance. You know, when you get to the point where you're in your late 60s, homes paid for, cars are paid for, a pension plan is funded, why do you need life insurance? Unless you want to do something specific for your church or, you know, something like that. People will say to me, I have a handicapped son. He's going to need care all of his life. How do I fund a trust for his handicapped care by a life insurance policy and have that trust fund, the beneficiary that takes care of him for the rest of his life. That's how you do that. Yeah. Yes. What are some of the negative things that can happen giving money to your children? Depends on how prosperous you are becomes a major issue for very prosperous families. Because in my 30-some years in doing this, I, can, I, could, I would never do this, but I could name children who are spoiled, rotten, because of what they inherited from mom and dad, grandma and grandpa's estate. They don't work. They don't, you know. Yeah, I had a guy with a very wealthy family whose grandfather, inventor, left a, a trust fund to the grandkids, and the kids don't work. They get income every month off that trust fund, very substantial. And the dad was very, very concerned about it. He said, what could we have done differently? I said, they should have put a caveat in that trust that said, we'll give you out of the trust what you earn up to, say, X amount of dollars per year. You don't earn, you don't get. He said, boy, I wish an attorney would have told us that. Yeah, he should have. That's the danger. Yeah. Money can do a lot of damage. Yeah, I know a friend of mine who had, had a trust fund for his, uh, for his son and daughter for college, and he died of cancer. And at his death, the trust funds were under the control of the son or daughter. The one son went to college. The other daughter said, no, I want the money now. So she took the money and did some things she shouldn't have done with it. Yeah, because there was no control there. Yeah, that's the danger. Yeah. When I got my life insurance, changed my wife's prayer life. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that worksheet I showed you in there will tell you. Work through that. Go through that worksheet. If you've got children, you're probably talking a half a million to three quarters of a million dollars of life insurance. But you know, if you're if you're under forty and you're healthy, a ten level term policy of half a million dollars is going to cost you about thirty 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 dollars is all. It's not that expensive a month. It's pretty cheap. If you're not healthy, you're rated higher. You'll pay a little bit more money. But unless you have a terminal disease, you can get coverage. It just takes a good insurance guy to do the research for you. You want preferred. That means you have no health issues. That's preferred. Not everybody can get preferred. Some people get standard. That means they're health issues. Diabetes or something. Okay? Yes? What do you say to someone who says they don't need life insurance and they're trusting the Lord? Yeah. What do I say to someone who says, I don't need life insurance, I'm trusting in the Lord? I'll say, well, you know, the Lord made you a steward of your family. My stewardship is in place while I'm living and after I die. 
And, you know, and I say, so I, I had to have in a seminar one time, a guy raised his hand and said, well, uh, that's a lack of faith to have life insurance. And I'll say, okay. I said, how many kids you got? He said, three. I said, um, you die. Who takes care of your family? Well, the Lord will provide. I said, okay, all right. How do you think he'll provide? Got any brothers? Yeah, I got two brothers. Will they take care? Oh, no, they're all underwater financially. I said, will your church take care of them? He said, uh, yeah. I said, I don't know of any church that takes care of them for the rest of their life. I know churches will stand up and stand in a place for a while, but I don't know of any church that takes care of a family for the rest of their life, even Grace Church. I don't know of anybody who does that. What about your responsibility? I said, don't you think that's stewardship? Don't you think stewardship says that you're responsible for your family after you die as well as while you're living? Over here at the seminar, somebody, some lady hollers out, it's called love. <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, that poor guy is buried by the time we got done with him. So, <laughs> so I said, yeah, stewardship says you provide for your family after you've passed away. Why don't you trust the Lord now? I said, why don't you just quit your job? Quit working. Trust the Lord. Yeah. Call Benny Hinn. <laughs> By the way, probably the biggest fraud alive today in the Lord's work. How's that? Yes. How do you do what now? I'm not, I can't hear him. Yeah, no, it's not an ethics seminar. Um, Do you ever hear the story about the physicist and his chauffeur? He went to the brain universities, the physicist, to do seminars on nuclear energy. And the chauffeur said, I've heard your speech. I can give it. So they change uniforms. So the chauffeur gets up and he's given this speech. And he's interrupted. He's at MIT and he's interrupted. Can they ask him a question? He says, that's the dumbest question I've ever gotten. He said, I thought this was a brain trust university. I've never gotten such a stupid question in all my life. In fact, it is so stupid, I'm going to let my chauffeur answer it. Chauffeur? <laughs> My dad was specific with us. He did not want to be on life support. And he said, if the cardiologists say I am gone, there are no brain waves, I do not want to be on life support. So that it was an issue of he's gone. And that's why I made sure with the car that's a great question. That's a question I wanted to make very sure I got answered very clearly from those two cardiologists. I want to make sure there is no life left. He is gone. They said he is gone. We'll tell you within five minutes after you take him off of life support, his heart will stop because he's on life support. That's what's keeping him alive. He's gone. There are no brain waves. So the question is, you keep him on life support for the next 30 years? That doesn't, you know, he's gone. He's gone. And I wanted to make sure of that before we made that decision. Now, that's a very great question today, especially when you've got euthanasia being discussed. Yeah. Very scary stuff today. No question. No. Yes.
The what now? Well, it doesn't have to be. Uh, does a trustee and a guardian need to be the same? For some people, when you talk about a very, very uh, prosperous estate, sometimes you may want to check and balance there. But for me, if you're going to name me the guardian, I want to be the trustee of the funds. Because I'm, I'm movable. I could be in Washington, move to California, move to Ohio. That means I got to go to a trustee who may live in Bremerton, Washington, to get permission to spend money on the kids I'm responsible for, I wasn't willing to accept that responsibility. Two trustees for guardianship? Yeah, there'd be a, there'd be a, yeah. I, you know, my wife and I are co-trustees. My son is successor trustee. My daughter is second successor trustee. So if my son, my daughter, my wife and I, my son get killed in a common accident, we're not left without a trustee. My daughter becomes the trustee. Then past my daughter is my son-in-law. My daughter-in-law didn't want the responsibility. Yeah, we passed it down in case something was to happen. No, good question. Sure. Yes. Then a judge has to take over. Let's say, let's say my son, let's say my wife and I, my son and my daughter and my son-in-law all got killed. Same accident. Who's the trustee? Judge would have to appoint one. Yeah. Just another hoop you got to go through. Yeah. It's noon. I promise I'd get you out of here. Pardon? Yes. Yes. Let's, uh, let's uh, close in prayer. Great questions, by the way. Thank you for coming. Father, thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your sending your Son to die, that we can have eternal life, forgiveness of sin. Thank you for your book that we can read, meditate upon, apply to our heart and life. Thank you for this issue of stewardship. Help us to be good stewards, managing the resources that you've given us, that you've loaned to us to serve you with and to enjoy. May we be men and women of unimpeachable integrity in all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.